Welcome to New Piney Grove Baptist Church, where one of our core values is Christian education. Let's tune in to this week's message. It being Women's Sunday, and we look at John 4, we find a familiar story that many Bible students and churchgoers are familiar with, most often called the woman at the well. John 4 has been the source of thousands of sermons and a favorite story for all those who've been delivered from a sordid past. It's a story of God's compassion for people who are considered inferior. So therefore, for our ethnic group, it's probably something that we can relate to in many ways. It's also an intriguing story with several useful biblical principles. But what is often overlooked in this passage is the history that led to the conversation between Jesus and this woman concerning worship. In the beginning of chapter 4, John set the stage by identifying the location. Because this location is the main point. And the whole story is really centered around it. So I want you to kind of follow along with me as we look at the text. Starting in verse 6 of chapter 4 of John. Reading from the New English Standard Version. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob well was there, so Jesus, weary as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. The village of Sychar in Samaria was near a place called Shechem. Some people may pronounce it Shechem. It was located in a Specific place between Mount Ebal and Mount Gerson. Now, biblical history tells us that this was the place that Moses pronounced a blessing and a curse for the people getting ready to come into the promised land. Mount Ebal was the blessed, but the curse area, and Mount Gerson was the blessing. And this will be important. Later on, because Moses had made this mountain special. But the study of history is necessary for us to understand the significance of the locale where the woman meets Jesus. So let's kind of turn back to history behind this in 1 Kings chapter 12 and see what we can learn. 1 Kings chapter 12 Verse 25. Then Rehoboam built Shechem in the hill country of Ephraim and lived there. And went out from there and built Peniel. Now the background of this passage is an issue 
that divided God's chosen people. Jeroboam and ten northern tribes separated from two southern tribes and King Rehoboam. Thus they were divided into two kingdoms. One kingdom is referred to as the house of David and the other is referred to as the house of Joseph. Now if you do any reading, you'll see this, you understand where that comes from. But a problem soon arose after the divided kingdom about a place of worship. You see, Solomon's temple was a place where all God's people gathered to worship. But the problem was the temple was located in Jerusalem in the southern kingdom. And all the Jewish people, especially male, were required to go several times a year to worship at the temple. And this mandate caused some great concern for Jeroboam. It's ironic that Jeroboam had been told by prophecy that God was going to establish his kingdom forever. And I've heard this all morning long about the word trust. But Jeroboam, the king, did not trust the Lord at his word. So being concerned about this place of worship, we find this in verse 27 of chapter 12. And these are his thoughts running through his mind. If this people go up to offer sacrifice in the temple of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn again to the Lord, to their Lord, to Rehoboam, the king of Judah, and they will kill me and return to Jeroboam, the king of Judah. It was because of fear. I heard that this morning too. And unbelief that Jeroboam made a decision that would change the course of history for the entire nation of God's people. What decision did he make? Possibly. So King First King twelve twenty eight. So the king took counsel and made two golden casts. And said to the people, you've gone up to Jerusalem long enough. Behold your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. And he set one in Bethel and the other in Dan. Bethel was to the northernmost part of the nation. And Dan was in the southernmost part. Verse 30 says, this thing became sin, for the people went as far as Dan to be before one of them, which means one of these golden calves. And in response to Jeroboam's action, God allowed years later the northern kingdom Israel to be captured by the Assyrians. When the Assyrians was conquered by the Babylonians, some of God's people were deported to a place called Samaria. And while there, they began to intermingle, intermarry, and adopted the worship practice of the heathen. These mixed-breed Jews and heathens were called Samaritan, which was not a very complimentary term. It would be considered a racist remark 
a racist title today. And I'm sure some of you guys can relate to that. But history kept on. When the Babylonians was overthrown by the Persian, the Jewish people, or the people of Jewish origin, was allowed to go back to Judah. But we run into another problem. You find this in Nehemiah and Ezra. The Jews in Jerusalem refused to allow the Samaritans to take part in rebuilding the temple and the wall. They refused to let them be involved in any type of worship practice. So the Samaritans decided to make Mount Gerson their main place of worship. This bit of rival between the Jews and Samaria continued to the time of Jesus and set the stage for the Lord's conversation with the woman at the well. Now let's return back to our main story as we look at John 4, verse 7. A woman from Samaria came to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. Now that's a paraphernalia statement here for disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. History tells us that the Jews would rather go around the long way instead of going to Samaria because they didn't want to have nothing to do with these people. But verse 1 tells us that Jesus said, I must go through. So this was a mandated by God. It was noon, 12 o'clock in the afternoon, when this encounter started. And the main point of this conversation started about water. The woman came to draw a well from the water. The well was about one mile from Sychar. I want you to imagine with me, lady, because oftentimes you picture this woman has this big water pot on her head, but she had more than that. Not only did she have a water pot to carry water, but she had a bucket and a rope to get the water. Jacob well was strategically located but it was deep. It was at least a hundred feet deep. So you imagine her balancing this jug on her head. Coming empty. But also having a rope and a bucket. So here she comes. At noon, by her In the heat of the day, normally the women of Sarkar came early in the morning. And they came as a group to help each other. But because this woman's background, because of her past, she came along on purpose. Not expecting to see anyone, let alone a Jew. Sitting by the well. And what he said to her was unusual. Give me a drink. Not hello, how are you? What's your name? Simply just give me a drink. This actually offended her. You can't see it in verse 9, but you could if you looked at the original text. Verse 9 says, The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? 
Another paraphernalia statement for the Jews had no deal with Tiberius. This was a smart mouth remark. Let me kind of give you an urban interpretation of it. You Jews don't speak to us, Samaritan, until you want something. But Jesus did not respond tit for tat. He turned the conversation from himself and physical thirst to the woman and her spiritual thirst. Jesus told her that he was the source of a water she had never seen, a living water. She thought he was talking about the spring water where you had to get weight on that bucket to go a little deeper and get that running water. But it confused her. How could this man draw water without a rope and a bucket? Was he going to ask her for the rope in the bucket? Then she challenges Jesus' theological authority, which took the conversation in an entirely different direction. As her smart remark in verse 12, she says, Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it as did his son, and his son, his favorite son was Joseph, and the livestock. But Jesus was patient, as he is with all of us ladies. He convinced her that he had something that she needed. He had a source of water that you didn't need a rope or a bucket. Something that was going to be everlasting that you didn't need to come back that one mile trip every day. And this interested her. And she made this response. Give me this water. And Jesus, who was following proper protocol, when you're going to give something to a lady, you better have a husband there. He asked her, go get your husband. So now the conversation changes from water to worship. Here in Jesus' request, she first told Jesus, I ain't got no husband. But Jesus' response shocks her. He said, you got that right. You don't have five men. And the one you're shocking with now ain't yours. At this point, the woman recognized that Jesus was more than just an ordinary Jew. And we find her response in verse 19. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worship on this mountain. What mountain? Gerson. But you say that in Jerusalem is a place where people ought to worship. One of the points I want you to understand is how lasting some things that we learn or happen to us long ago, different generations can be passed down to this generation. 
The effects of Jeroboam policy that separated God's people earlier is still evidence. See, we can't get rid of our past. We get hung up on things that happened in the 1960s. Some of y'all wasn't even there, wasn't even born. And y'all going to tell us what y'all would have done if y'all was there. We, we get hung up in our past and we cannot get to a point that God will propel us to our future. So the effects of Jeroboam's were still alive. You see, the Samaritans had their own temple, Shechem, on Mount Garrison. They had their own copy of the Old Testament, first five books. They had their own priesthood. They had their own worship system. They had their own worship practice. And they had their own religious holidays of worship and feasts. Some say that's good. All that the Samaritan did concerning worship had its foundation in what I want you to understand as customized worship. Which Jeroboam has set up years ago. Now stop right here and just say something. One of the things that kept me away from church for so many years when I was a younger man was that I didn't understand some of the things that was going on in church. And when I began to ask questions, nobody could tell me. So we had tradition and still do that we do. And we don't know why we do them. We just do them because we always did it. I want you to see something about Jeroboam's customized worship. What he had set up when the kingdom split. Jeroboam set up a new worship symbol. He changed the ark of God for two golden calves. Jeroboam set up a new worship place from Jerusalem to Dan and Bethel. Jeroboam set up a new priesthood. Instead of them coming from the Aaronic tribe or the Aaron tribe, the Leviticus tribe, he took anybody that wanted to be a priest and made them a priest. And Jeroboam started a new religious calendar. And main thing was he changed the Feast of Tabernacle. Let me tell you how important this is. The Feast of Tabernacle or the Feast of Tent was to cause people to remember where they came from. It led up to the Passover to remember God's deliverance. And he changed that. So the people had no concept of where they came from. So young people, when us older folks be trying to tell you how it was back then, you need to take heed. And you give God more glory for bringing us where we are. Following 
Jeroboam customized worship practice for years. The Samaritan had formed their own worship. But it was man-made. Yeah, they carried out the orders. But it was of their own invention. Without any scriptural authority. This is why Jesus said to the woman. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know for salvation is from the Jews. Stay with me now. I don't want you to lose me now. Jesus informed this woman that the worship of the Samaritans was not authorized by God. It was customized. Hear me good now. Customized worship is the most dangerous form of man-made worship. I'm going to say that again. The most dangerous form of man-made worship is customized worship. Customized means to modify to suit a particular lifestyle or preference. See, when you get people that customize worship, you can have things like they got in Atlanta where you got a church that has a first gentleman. Where we customize worship. You can have ornaments. But you got a couple of the same sex. That's customized. You modified to suit your own lifestyle or preference. You see, customized worship deceives people into believing that what they are doing is right and it pleases God. You got customized worship when people want to have babies without the blessing of matrimony. I want you to notice two things about Jesus' word in verse 22. First of all, Jesus said, what you know. He said, you worship what you do not know. He did not say, you worship who you do not know. Many have customized worship where things are the object of the service of worship and not God. I want you to notice also that Jesus, what he said about salvation, he said it was from the Jews, not for the Jews. The King James says of the Jews. Jesus was speaking of salvation source and not salvation recipients. Salvation was coming to all mankind through the Jews in the person of Jesus Christ. Today, men have customized worship by believing that they are saved by their good works. Some worship to believe that there's no heaven, no hell. Others have customized worship by saying that God is too loving and too kind to see anybody in hell forever. But like the woman, you don't know what you worship.
You don't know what you're talking about. This mindset of customized worship is what we have a lot going on individually, not necessarily in the church. Jesus told us that he was the way. And no man come to the Father but by him. If you think you can be saved and you're going to get to heaven through any other means, you got a customized viewpoint. Because you ain't read that nowhere in God's word. And I challenge you to challenge me or anyone else in this church that we're doing something that we have self-invented, we have customized, show it to us in the word. Because I don't want to be guilty of customized worship. There's nothing wrong with emotionalism. We ought to get crunked up about God. Our God is the only thing we want to do without knowing the God we're crunked up about. You have customized worship. I'm done. But I want you to think about it. What ideas about worship, about God, do you have in your mind that you've gotten from somebody else? It's kind of like the picture that Michael, I think Mike D'Angelo's painted of Jesus. We get that in our mind and we think that, and I've heard too many kids say, ooh, there's a picture of Jesus. That's why we don't have pictures here. There's no way in the world Jesus could be blonde and blue-eyed. It just can't happen. Truth is, he looked more like you than did by the people that painted that. But that's just one thought. What other ideas do you have that you've customized in your mind when it comes to your salvation? Stand with me. Thanks for listening. We pray that you have been blessed by the message. Visit us on the web at npgbc.org for contact information, service times, or directions to our place of worship.